Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another pod vlog from moi. I am um, cranking through these here, you know, getting used to the uh, the new format, and uh, I like it. I hope you do too. I am enjoying both getting a chance to reread the blogs as well as say them out loud. I don't know. There's something tactile about it that I find kind of rewarding. It's almost, you know, it's kind of strange, but it's almost like I get a bit of a rush when I read through the whole thing. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to keep going at this for a little while longer. On my blog, I you know, I often share tips and how-tos and, and musings about things I've learned. And, uh, and that's awesome. I love doing that. What I love more is writing about places I've traveled to. I just did a sort of combination of both of those with this latest blog that I'm going to share with you called Pattern Disruption. And other lessons from Tokyo. You know, I guess you could say I got my blogging roots in in travel blogging when I was hitchhiking across Canada and and writing a little blog. And then, oh God, that, you know, it's just such a long time ago. I actually write something about that recently, so I'll talk about it then. But you know, I ended up in Asia and I had the South. Excuse me, in a search of sunrise blog, which was all my thoughts and feelings of you know young young man's first travels into of literally leaving my country into you know a foreign exotic land and it was just incredible and uh, unfortunately that's one of those blogs that's lost on the internet I have no idea where to find that in search of sunrise blog and part of me has let that go it's okay and part of me kind of wishes I could see what 19 year old Joel thought about Bangkok and Cambodia and Vietnam anyway having just been to Tokyo, I must say, damn, <laughs> if you haven't been, you must go. And especially if you're a traveler, but even if you're, even if you're not, like if you're a Venice or Paris kind of traveler, Tokyo offers this really unique exoticism of the Far East with all the safety and conveniences of sort of more developed Western society. So it really bridges that gap of that backpacker versus that that comfort traveler and you get the best of both worlds it's just it's a place that will blow your mind and they always say that i, I think i heard once that once you've been to tokyo you compare excuse me you compare everything else to tokyo you know what i'd say that's true i was asked after i went if i thought tokyo was the best place i'd ever been and i said uh it's a pretty close second to Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh, specifically Ho Chi Minh, Hanoi. You know, and I think if I went back to Tokyo, it might, it might surpass. I've only been to Tokyo once and I've been to Ho Chi Minh City five times. So I've just grown such a love for that country the, and that city, the people, the smiles, the food, Ugh. The, the vibe, the busyness, the honking of the scooters, um, the smell of, of street meat cooking. It, it, is, it is this place everyone just has to visit. And Tokyo is as well. 
so there you have it. There's a little ramble on 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 uh, Tokyo versus Ho Chi Minh and and my you know my my past travels and let's dive into this blog here. Pattern disruption and other lessons from Tokyo. In front of me, displayed on pack shelves is laundry detergent. Around the corner are a variety of dildos. Strawberry and milk tea flavored Kit Kats and cups of spicy noodles line the next aisles. Next, a row of boxing gloves and Hawaiian style t-shirts. I think I see a gun, although I'm not sure if it's a real gun, as well as a genuine luxury European handbag and luggage on display behind glass chained up. There are no windows or store attendants. And like a carnival maze, once you've entered, the only way out seems to be completion of the labyrinth itself. I check my phone. It's nearly 11 p.m. And the crowds of locals and tourists still perusing the goods seems endless. This is the paradox that is Don Quixote, Japan's largest discount store. Where I do not see any actual discounts on the merchandise, I stand in awe, forced to contemplate all that I thought was possible or even probable in the world of brick-and-mortar shopping. Beyond Don Quixote, after eight days in Japan, I conclude I need to rethink just about everything I thought possible about cities, countries, and even myself. Many blogs have been written about the striking contrasts, the tangle of opposites that is Japan. It takes at least some mental gymnastics to process how the futuristic Blade Runner-esque lights of Akiharaba and Dantonbari and Shayubra Crossing areas are somehow part of the same place where ancient onsens and sentos, which are different types of bathhouses and tea ceremonies and traditional shrines, live side by side. It's not my prerogative to write what others have before, other than to say it's real. Just as real are the contradictions of conservative dress, humbleness, quiet demeanor, and deep respect alongside the pervasive over-sexualization of magna, anima, cosplay, and Shinjiku's kabu, I gotta say this, kabukichu, aka Red Light District. I hope I said that right. This is one of the reasons Japan has long held the imagination of travelers and the world at large for many years. Why I bring this up, however, is not to sell you a seat on JAL's next seat sale. No, I share this because of what neuro-linguistic programming, or NPL, refers to as pattern disruption or a pattern interrupt, which is anything that forces someone to change their natural pattern of thought. And according to NPL, a series of interruptions that break a habit or state, which is exactly what Tokyo did to me. Essentially, I had traveled to Japan because I like nice thread counts. I've been in the garment trade for about 15 years and went to the land of the rising sun to source fabric for a new project. A long staple cotton, preferably Sea Island or Egyptian, was what I had crossed the Pacific to find. Japan has a reputation for doing almost everything exceptionally well, dare I say, the best it can possibly be done. From sushi to technology, cars to salvage denim, pottery, pastries and tea to video games and cartoons, the list of what the Japanese do well is endless. So it's no surprise that I found fabric so damn nice it would tantalize the very nerve endings of your hands if you touched it. While I was there, however, something unexpected happened. On my last evening of the trip, while sipping a Negroni at the New York bar and trying to synthesize the sensory overload of the past week, I entered a state of 
reverie that offered an interesting revelation. I'm essentialist. I kept that part of myself in the shadow realm of the other repressed ideas, instincts, impulses, weaknesses, desires, perversions, and embarrassing fears for as long as I can remember. In Tokyo, however, even the lasting effects of my conservative Western Protestant Christian upbringing couldn't be suppressed by the inspiring and delicious temptations. Switching from the Negroni to a succulent Zinfandel from Francis Ford Coppola's Vineyard, fitting, given it was his daughter Sophia's movie, Lost in Translation, that inspired my visit to this bar on the 52nd floor of the Park Hyatt Hotel in the first place. The truth of myself continued to reveal itself. They say scent, emotion, and memory are intertwined, and one small scent can trigger powerful memories. This meant Tokyo would provide a reckoning of my sensual past. First, a waft of cigar smoke from the lounge provoked the memory of a rooftop dinner in Istanbul, where among the meze and raki, the menthol-scented secondhand smoke intermingled with sumac spice and the salt of the Bosphorus Sea, while my guests conversed in a lively combination of Italian, Turkish, and English. Spellbinding. Another flashback. A sunset on the shore in Thailand, while vagabonds put hand-rolled cigarettes to their sun-kissed lips, lips, and the earthy aroma of tobacco and curry hung in the humid air. I've never smoked. I've always romanticized it. After the Park Hyatt, it's on to Golden Guy, a back-alley maze of izakayas, essentially small pubs, with the scent of yakitori chicken skewers perfectly charred on open flames, floating through the alleyway. I time travel again, back to Vietnam, where, energized by the pulse of a bustling Saigon afternoon, a sip from a cold beer causes almost rush-like sensation beneath my warm skin, an added blessing the smell of meat sizzling and fish oil vapor drift in the humid exhaust-filled air. I've always liked a place more when it smells of cooking meat. On my stroll through the ginkgo tree-lined park, there is a smell I just can't place. Here, in the cool shade from summer heat, I'm reminded of my childhood, exploring the swampy jungle of my suburban backyard beyond the safe reaches of a parent's call. When did I totally lose myself? in the jungle last. I can't even remember. Next, the surprising candied scent of Gourmet Alley in Tokyo Station, a near holy place for Japan's renowned pastries and desserts. And I'm a kid again, spoiling myself without remorse on scores of ice cream and whatever sweetness I could get my hands on. Repentance only came if I was caught. There was no one here in the Far East to tell me I can't indulge. And of course, now there is this glorious Japanese spun cotton fabric I found. I'm reminded of my travels in Peru and my first encounter turned love affair with Peruvian Pima cotton and luxurious fabric. Purchased at a local market in Lima, the silky smooth fibers caressed my skin in ways I had never experienced and don't dare to explain on this blog, literally changing my life forever. Thanks to Tokyo, the sensualist I always was has revived. Interestingly, at first I was reluctant to be excited about Tokyo. I'd dreamed of it for far too long. I'd only heard how amazing it was, and my expectations for a good time were simply too high. Like many of the great firsts in my life, sex, outdoor concerts, 
Granted, I was at the back or American buffets. I didn't want to be let down. So I held back. I played coy. I almost hoped it wouldn't be good. Then at a Sobel noodle bar in Canada, the grandma sitting beside me at the tiny bar slurping noodles proceeded to chug the last remains of her beer, chase it with a shot of soju, turn to face me, raising her now empty glass and say, welcome to Japan. The sheer joy that hot noodles and spicy broth and chilled suds seemed to bring her kick down the door of my dirtbag traveler's heart and let the sensualist in me out. And that was day one. From there on, it was beers and egg salad sandwiches, bluefin tuna and wasabi pizza, Japanese yakiniku, that's Japanese barbecue, with lemon-flavored whiskey highballs, tonkatsu, pork, beef katsu, what kind of fish is that sushi, spicy ramen, takiyoki, which is octopus balls, okonomiyaki, Japanese pancakes to whatever, whenever, wherever, because life's too fucking short and I'm in Japan. Whatever Tokyo did to dislodge, the sensualist in me accompanied me on the plane ride home, survived the jet lag, and unlocked a pleasure state I hope is permanent. Upon returning home, I sat on my patio and smoked a cigar I'd been saving for the right occasion, going on four years now, pulled a few nice bottles of French vino from the crawl space, and my wife and I had an at-home spa bath with all the scents and salts and candles you can imagine. For much of my life, I have sought pleasure, partaken in it, and then punished myself for it. I shouldn't have spent that money. I should be eating healthier. I have work to do, so I can't go on vacation this year. Sure, I went ahead and did many things, but I never did them without allowing some measure of guilt to sour the experience. I grew up poor, and the Western ideals of conservatism and responsibility and good behavior were nearly beaten into us as children. For years, I lived a near monastic life as a runner. Discipline and martyrdom were my recipe for success. My past blogs are littered with examples of the benefits of struggle and resistance in building character, finding success and achieving a sort of stoic happiness. Thanks to Tokyo, I've been humming a different tune lately, one that asks the question, why not? Why not embrace pleasure? Why do I not deserve a better hotel bed? Why not grant myself the permission to enjoy things for the sake of enjoyment, not just having earned it? I guess I never trusted myself with the indulgences of the senses and relished in the wildness of my being. I didn't think I was worthy. Now I say, why wait? The benefits of pleasure are innumerable. But I'll enjoy writing this blog a lot less if I get sciency and include citations of the evidence. You will too. For now, let me be an ambassador for the irresponsible and instead pose a challenge. If you have suppressed your passions and sensual indulgences because you felt unworthy, it's time to come out of the shadow and dance naked in the sunshine. This is shadow integration work, the reintegration of the aspects of ourselves we have hidden. I'll write more in depth about this at a later date. For now, play with pleasure. Play with allowing yourself to experience the luxuriousness, luxuriousness that invigorates your soul and ignites your joy in life. Travel, eat, fuck, breathe, bathe, be in nature, sleep in silk, get a foot massage, get a whole body massage, be a sensualist, fly your own freaking pleasure flag, do it fearlessly and see what happens. I know I will. There you have it. 
ah, brings me all the way back to Tokyo. I cannot wait to go back there one day. I'd like to spend a whole year there actually at some point in my life, but given the farm responsibilities that I have, that is not in the immediate future here. So what do I want to close on? Yes. I just wanted to close on notice that I didn't correct my little flubs as I read through it. I just, you know what? Fuck it. Just going to be myself. And sometimes I make some errors when I read and that's okay. I hope you enjoyed it and be well, my friends. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. You know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.